Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Red Mage. So you know that I've been on a hiatus for quite some time due to working on my thesis project. But great news, it's finally out. We have a working prototype and we are taking playtesters. Yeah! So today's episode um, is going to be talking about humor and world building as Quarkspace really kind of goes over the top and mixes in like the humor that kind of comes out of the struggle and really exaggerates it uh, to make a point as it guides players through this kind of role-playing choose-your-own-adventure that teaches you how to kind of learn about your worth and how to communicate your worth. And we're currently working on the cosplayer route, but we're going to be opening it up to a bunch of different characters and, and cast member NPCs that will be applicable to a lot of different micro entrepreneurs in later iterations. So today I have a special guest with me. Hello. Um, Ryan Miller, Castro Miller? Castro Miller. Castro Miller. Um, works on Nerds of Mass Destruction, awesome podcasts that you should check out, and he has a background in film. Ryan here has a lot of, of knowledge and insight in into film and storytelling. And I've had the pleasure of talking with him about um, just kind of the humor and, and, and kind of like struggles. And he made a really good point. Struggle really kind of breeds a sense of humor. Oh, yeah, I totally think that. I, th I think when you look at every awesome comedian that there is, they all came from something. They, I mean, came from nothing, really, and moved themselves up. Richard Pryor grew up in a brothel. His his mom was like a head madam in wow. a brothel. Yeah, it's it was it's amazing when you look at a lot of these guys. A lot of their backstories. Some of them with like the the best comedians, the ones that you really look at. Like, and it's funny when you break it down. Like the guys who came from this struggle, and really like their acts were very vulgar and dark but then when you look at the, their private lives like they were just yeah they had substance abuse problems <laughs> you know but you still they were still like nice guys like Richard Pryor I had heard this story on the radio with his wife was saying that she uh she was just amazed at how nice of a person he was going through because she knew everything she knew all about his childhood and all of that and all the struggles that he grew up poor and she one thing the thing she did is he said he blew money through money like crazy they had a fight and that he grabbed something and broke the chandelier and caused it to fall and shatter and then he just he said, okay, we got to stop fighting. And then he ordered another chandelier. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, our, our generation kind of got hit with a lot. I mean, not only have we, we got thrown into like two economic downturns, um, <laughs> we're seeing the rise of like neo-Nazis like going down the streets. We're in a pandemic with really bad leadership. Um, you know, the cost of rent is like, that that that's, that's a joke. The struggle. Yeah. yeah, that's the joke, and the fact I, I don't want to sideline too much, but this is podcast is coming after the election. The fact that California, for whatever reason, we're a happy liberal 
you know, granola munching state. <laughs> but we always destroy our freaking rent control props. There were there was one this year. There was one before that where we were trying to increase. I mean, have actual rent control in the state, and well, they believe. I guess I don't know. I chalk it up to the ads. I don't know. But, <laughs> but that's not funny. That's <laughs> that's the struggle. Yeah, for real. It's like I, I was looking up what it what it costs to live in LA just to afford a, a one bedroom apartment. It costs about almost I think two thousand dollars. And you would have to make forty nine dollars an hour in order to live by yourself, make ends meet, to supply for all your auxiliary bills, and it's just this is just base minimum. Like internet groceries and stuff and your car payments. What was that number? $49 an hour. <laughs> I think that like... A, that's insane. That's just like bare minimum. Like it's it's not even like what happens if you get like a premium like, you know, coverage for your car, you know. Yeah. That, that varies. And it's just like, wow. Like, you know, the the average wage is like, what, like $12 probably going up to 15 I think in LA, I'm not sure, but I think in LA County, it's it, the minimum is 15 already. Mm-hmm. I, I could be wrong. I know the state minimum is ridiculously, sadly low. I, I think it's 13, something Jesus. like that. And you know, and then like people will, will fight over that. It's just like, why don't why? you just want to be able to afford stuff? And like, it's it's almost kind of like we're living in some kind of like really bad comedy. And or a really bad sci-fi that's so bad that it's funny. Like we have like, we, <laughs> like a we, shitty Black Mirror. They, <laughs> like a they, third rate Black Mirror. They ran low on budget so they couldn't afford reptilians. They just got Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like Dusty Mirror. <laughs> Dusty Mirror. <laughs> Sounds like a wrestling name. <laughs> yeah. So so one of the things that I, I kind of mention or highlight in uh, Quark Space is that when you first kind of land in there... Uh, and you're kind of being carried around by this bot that basically kind of monitors you 24 seven, um, which was actually an idea of one, of one of the, the test players that got incorporated because he was a, he was a really good writer. Um, shout out to Sergio Salazar. Um, and <laughs> what happens is when you, when you're going around, uh, trying to, trying to find some work or trying to get out of this slave wage of a unpaid internship for life, um, <laughs> You end up finding one of the first jobs you find just to kind of establish yourself in the world is kind of being a, a bartender um, for eight dollars an hour. And mm-hmm. you immediately think, OK, cool, like, you know, eight dollars an hour, some strange, fantastic world that can't be bad. And then you find out that rent for a one room apartment is like two, th- like twenty six hundred dollars or something. <laughs> <laughs> so you you end up having to go through learn a value proposition and then negotiate for a higher pay but you know and and as, as funny as that sounds like it's kind of what's going on like nowadays oh yeah yeah exactly only in i don't know if you're going to include this in the game where uh Walmart's gonna have people come and break your knees when you ask for a wage. <laughs> you know what? We're always looking for test players that contribute and really kind of build with the community. I I would love to do something like that. There is that, not to go too far off, but it it's all incorporates into you know the struggle and how the deck is stacked. 
there is a documentary, it's pretty old now, uh, called Walmart, The High Cost of Low Prices. Mm. And it was, they actually found out that Walmart had people in vans, like they union buster people, that they, they are in unmarked vans and they wait around in the parking lot taking surveillance of the workers to see if they're going to form unions. Like what? Walmart, and I'm sure they still do this, even though the movie is probably like close to 20 years old. I don't, it, it's probably even worse now because you had four <laughs> years of the Bush administration. I mean, you had eight years of the Bush administration. When that movie came out, I think it was 2005. So 2004, 2005. So you were in the middle of the Bush administration. The Obama administration was okay, but then you had Trump administration. So I'm sure the union busting is way worse than. I mean, they probably have people just come in and slit your throat now Jeez, <laughs> and then man. put a happy face sticker over your face. And what's even scarier is, like, you don't even need people in vans anymore. No. You just have parking lot cameras and you're just... Yeah, exactly. Out. Well, they also were talking about that. Like, they would have surveillance. They actually... There was a woman that was raped in a Walmart parking lot. And the surveillance cameras they had were trained on areas where workers congregate because they're trying to bust unions not because they were looking out for the safety of the customers so the woman was right outside the range of the cameras when she was attacked wow probably the guy knew that you know he probably knew the area but and then she sued i don't know what happened it was they probably you know paid her off and walmart bucks or whatever they do but it's yeah that's the disgusting thing is they care more about busting unions than they do about uh, safety of their damn customers who are giving them money. Yeah, and you know what? Like, there's all this talk about businesses being people and, and, and all this. But oh, yeah. it, uh, I, I'm so, so done with that. Like, it's it's so over the top. Like, people are literally starving and not having places to, to sleep. And I think that a lot of us really kind of forget that, yeah, you could have a business, but where does a business get money? customers exactly consumers and if they don't have like disposable income like where are they gonna go get it and then if you just give them money they'll spend on your stuff and they'll have a higher quality of life instead of just being like in debt that's what i don't understand why would you have a slave wage labor you have labor working for the slave wage when they can't even afford your damn product (laughs) i mean I, I used to work, and I, um, I hope no one, uh, they don't send attack drones for anything I'm about to say. <laughs> I'm just looking at the window right now. When you find out where it was, they have the money to do it. I used to work for Disneyland. Oh, there they come. <laughs> <laughs> we done so much, Ryan. You just told them everything. <laughs> You're going to die, gosh. Oh, God. <laughs> Not like this movie. Is Disney calling me? <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Just it's a moment of silence. It's not Disney. So, yeah, when I worked there, first of all, they have, this was 2000, I worked two years. So, like, 2012 to 2014, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And in those two years, I think I was getting, like, $14.75 an hour. Wow. Something like that. Which was okay. It was, I mean, it was good. But I started out, like, the, the last year, I think, was pretty good. I started out making, like, $12 an hour. 
<laughs> that, Jesus. Yeah, like 2013, I believe it was two. Yeah, it was something like that. It was like $12 an hour. Okay, so let, let's at least say for $12 an hour, $14 an hour, what what were you doing though? What was like your... your... It was um, customer service at restaurants. So I was oh. I was the guy selling you the corn dog in that little metal trailer that <laughs> in August. Here's <laughs> <laughs> your corn dog. <laughs> and then this literally happened to me after I was also working the turkey leg at California Adventure. Where first of all, there's this myth that the turkey leg is ham, and it's not. It's not. It's they use ham, they cure it like a ham. Mm. but it's these gigantic and it's not emu either because it's so big <laughs> people people really thought it was emu i would get that question all the time like is this emu is it emu <laughs> like no it is not emu but um what it what i heard was and i this is all disney speculation i heard they have a farm with like these uh steroided up genetically modified <laughs> like super turkeys <laughs> the size of buicks the size but, of buicks but um yeah, so yeah, I, I worked there, and one night, I worked grad night there. Oh my god. Grad night in the little turkey booth. <laughs> and um, I didn't get home till I think, like, almost four in the morning. And I'm walking, I parked my car, and I'm walking home, and I'm reeking of turkey, that hickory smoked flavor okay. and all the dogs in the neighborhood are like, like <laughs> going nuts because they smell this walking meat locker so long hours not not the yeah. most favorable work condition and at that time it was like less than 13.75 I was making at, at that time and I am working grad night you had to work I think I was working eight hours, too. But the way they schedule it, they're geniuses at working the loophole system of every every state they're in. They're freaking geniuses. So the way they work it is they have your schedule like go up and down. And so you don't end up working 20 or 30 hours in one quarter. So you they arrange, I mean, in one quarter, in one actual pay period. So they schedule. So you're working like eight, 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 and then three, three, eight, 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 three. They stagger it weirdly. So you end up. You could be working four eights in a row, but the way they rigged your the pay schedule, you're those aren't showing up as four in a row. So you had two in one and two in another pay period. Wow. Yeah. And, and for context, you know. When we when we hear thirteen dollars, you know, fourteen dollars an hour, what was what was the cost of like rent and groceries? Like, like how much of your paycheck went to all the, all that? And then oh, a large chunk of it. I, I don't know the exact number on what. Would you say like seventy five percent, eighty? Oh yeah, and at that time we were paying. Um, fourteen, uh, yeah, fourteen fifty, I think, for the apartment. Yeah, so it doesn't spread very well. I and at that time, I was working three jobs. Jesus, Christ. I was working for uh, the county office of education, which paid well, but didn't pay like you know it was a, it wasn't a full time job, but it paid well. 
it it was um, six hours, and I was getting at the time twenty dollars an hour, so that was pretty good, especially back then. And then so I had that, and then you know we just had Luna, we just had a baby, so we needed the extra money. So I was working at Panera, and Disney. So I was working from I think two thousand twelve to two thousand fourteen. I was working. Actually, no, I take that back. It was 2007 to 2014. I was working at least two jobs, sometimes three. And we were barely scraping by. And Mercy was working, too. My wife was working, too. That is is insane. Like, you know, it it still hits me, like, how, how any of this is, like, possible and how, like, how, like, it's allowed to kind of go forth and... I think like that's why I kind of made this because so I, I, I know it's weird saying that I'm working with cosplayers and people are just like, well, why cosplay? How does that kind of yeah. put up to, you know, micro entrepreneurs or anyone else in the struggle? Well, just like you were working in these like long hours for low pay, cosplayers put in about like 80 hours over the course of probably like three to six months because they only have like an hour or less a day to kind of work on stuff because they're working two, yeah. two, three jobs. And then when they cosplay, they bring in a bunch of like brand recognition. They, they are basically marketing and brand ambassadors or content creators that are advertising like the heck out of like, you know, industries, right? Oh, yeah. And then they'll bring in, I found this out, and it's published on, on San Diego uh, Comic Con. $149 million over four days Whoa! is what they rake in just at the convention Whoa! by like just buying tickets and coming in and then taking care of all the fees. So the total growth, the total, what, uh, what are they called? Comic-Con org? Uh, I forget what they're called, the whole body. So just for those four days? Just for those four days. That's the total they rake in. And that's just for the tickets. That's not even hotels, which I think rake in $88 million. Um, and then spending, I think, is about almost thirty-four million or something. Um, I need to double check on that. Man, but it's 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 really high, and this is with one hundred thirty-five thousand people over four days, which which is insane. And then cosplayers who put in hours and effort, you know, don't get compensated for anything. It's, yeah, and when you look at the face of any of those. Um, comic cons any of the comic conventions when you watch like you know channel seven said the comic cons coming to town and they'll show the b-roll what do they show cosplayers yeah that is the first identifiable feature of any convention is cosplayers and yeah the fact that they don't make anything is is pretty disgusting you know and and, and i get it like when i from the research i broke down three main customer segments there's you know, fans who just, they don't cosplay, but they, they really love cosplayers. They engage with them. There's hobbyists, which, you know, they'll go and buy some stuff where they'll, they'll spend probably like a hundred to $200 max on their cosplay. And they'll kind of cosplay the characters that they love. And then you have this kind of like really like niche brand, like group. And I call them cosplayers because they're, they're cosplay micro entrepreneurs where they're going to like conventions or handcrafting it like they're doing all this and like they have followings of like a thousand to like 
you know, 64,000 to 100,000 followers or something insane. Yeah. And, you know, they're, they're creating a bunch of value for the city. They're creating a bunch of value for the industries. And it becomes kind of like this. It Sometimes they do get blurred, but like some people are really distinguished, like in the, the detail that they put in their costume. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they'll, they'll get kind of a symbolic victory of like here's like a rest stop so that you could change out a cosplay now go brand our next <laughs> yeah our next thing <laughs> you know and it's get just, back to work <laughs> yeah it's just like <laughs> you had your break much yeah. just here's, some, the, here's some complimentary gatorade get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> you know and it's it's rough like what you know what what makes the value that they're generating 149 million dollars over four days you know, not let them get compensated or be taken seriously, even. Exactly. Like, if at the bare minimum, the conventions offered a, like, actual area where cosplayers, like a dressing room or whatever, something like that, like the equivalent of a little truck stop, but for cosplayers to change and have the privacy, you know, if they did with maybe complimentary Gatorades, I don't know, but something, (laughs) at least something... So it would show you know the gratitude because these people put on a lot of money. I, I still feel though that like so I know that one company and I Blizzard has kind of set up um, I believe kind of like r- cosplay runways like for for models where they do a contest and then they also do um, I think like they have like these little like pit stops for them. But if you've ever been to a convention and I, I went to Sabotencon in Arizona, where just wearing shorts and a t-shirt, like, I wanted to just get hit by a bus. <laughs> it was so hot. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's the level of heat where you could rip off your skin and you're still hot. <laughs> yeah. And then people are in, like, full, like, layered clothing to be this character. And I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like, how do you endure that? Yeah, and it makes you think about, like, the Stormtroopers and the Iron Man yeah. guys who are dying in those <laughs> like plastic shaking alive. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I've been to Anime Expo a couple of times, too. My feet hurt alone from, like, carrying just, like, random swag I would get. And I'm, I'm not dropping, like, hundreds of dollars. I'm dropping, like, 45 well, maybe some of the clothes, like, I'll, I'll drop 100 Like, I got a really cool jacket at Sabo Tengon. Um, But we we kind of just, like, you know, we are just like, God, you know, we're exasperated. And just to get water, it's, like, $20 a bottle of Aquafina. <laughs> yeah. And then if you want to go eat, it's either you have to run out to, like, a Denny's that's, like, 10 blocks away from the con. Or you have to try, like, run over to Little Tokyo, which is, like, blocks away because all of the food trucks that are there, and there's some pretty good ones, but they're slammed. And oh yeah, you know, and, or you could get, I guess, like sometimes like they have food court food or the 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 maid cafes. And while the maid cafes do bleed you dry because people love cat girls and they'll serve you <laughs> pasta, <clears throat> I, I I can't knock them for being like, hey, we got to monetize this and pay the bills somehow. Yeah, yeah. Cat girls need money too. I know. But I, I if. I, <laughs> If anyone listening to this uh, knows me very well, they they know I'm a very full advocate of cat rolls. Um, <laughs> they they I, need I, a fair wage. <laughs> cat cat rolls cat girls are important for no, every. Milk is not cheap. 
for every donation you make to to Corkspace, we we save one cat girl. <laughs> we give her we give her a DM job. She's living with Bob Barker now. <laughs> we're, we're teamed up with the Bob Ross Foundation <laughs> in Studio Ghibli. Uh, but you know, it's it's almost comical. Like, you know, cat girls are stealing your money away <laughs> to pay for their bills because they're in an in a, an economic like downpour too. Yeah, it's it's funny. The only one not affected by economic downturn is the people throwing the damn convention yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Not the city is holding it. Well, the city officials are, you know, swimming in money too. Especially you have like uh, Orange County, Irvine, you have full I don't know Fullerton doesn't have conventions. LA, San Diego, they they make their fair share of damn money. And uh, do the city see it back? Do the people see it back? And like, no, they're still paying fistfuls of taxes. <laughs> I know taxes in the OC is that they're expensive. Yeah. So, what's going on there? But yeah, I totally get it that everybody that it's bad enough that the conventions are screwing over the fans by everything being you know priced out of your realistic wages. Yeah. It's bad enough they do that, but then people like the cosplayers and the cat girls and people who actually bring attention to the... They should be getting a piece of the pie. Yeah. And, you know, not all conventions are bad. Like, there are some really great ones like PAX, um, I believe ALA. Those have been really kind of, like, affordable. Like, they're not charging an arm and leg, and they take really good care of their fans. Um but what I've also found really interesting is that Anime Expo and uh, San Diego Comic Con have been like two of the only cons that have really kind of like started publishing out like well easy maybe the other cons have but it's it's really hard to find like on you know especially right now during Corona which, you know you're oh, yeah. to a computer um, trying to like find like how much how much revenue they're generating and how it's broken down and you know but. You know, I think Anime Expo made over like, I think one one million or something over like it over or like their previous thing. Um, I have I have to check, but it's like some gigantic number, and it's just like wow, like, you know, the branding that goes into that, the marketing yeah. that goes into that. So I think sometimes, like, I ask, it's like, well, what makes what makes them like really kind of compelled, and it really is that branding and being able to tell their their story. Yeah. Um, and so what I try to do with Corkspace is try to say, like, look, you guys, you guys have a story. You guys have value, too. Like, we just need to teach you that you're worth something and communicate it. What was really crazy is that in one of the playtests, um, this guy, this, this, this player knew that I was giving him a value proposition. He said you could, you could go out and you could at least get $16 an hour. At least $16. You could, you could negotiate for more. But he's like... Well, no, if I'm in a, a place where I, I don't know, you know, anyone and I don't have any money, it's safer to take $8 an hour over nothing at all. It's and that, that is that is intense. And that's where we're at. Yeah. That's exactly where we're at. I mean, it's safer to have three shitty paying jobs instead of waiting 
and throwing out the resumes and having one good job while you're waiting for, I mean, one slightly good job where you're waiting for an even better job. So, yeah, I totally see that. I see why people, it's safer to take the shitty alternative sometimes. Yeah. Because really, what do you have? And it's just like, wow. You know, so it's not only a behavioral problem saying that like, well, I, you know, I don't know how to communicate the worth and that's, I don't know if I should take that risk and it's safer and I'm conditioned to do this. But also, you know, we've created this kind of system here in the U.S. I, I, I can't speak for other countries because I've, I've limited the scope here to, I think, lo- greater Los Angeles. Really yeah. looking around that because a lot of conventions, a lot of cosplayers and it's a metropolitan city. It's huge. Yeah, it's a good, it's a very good test market for our core sample i mean to say for um for the demographic you're looking for either here or florida or (laughs) orlando but you know there's lots of crazy stuff you could throw in there too python comes at you (laughs) or or a man cosplays in in real python (laughs) he just gets inside (laughs) um you know but and it's it's almost it's almost comical about like you know this, this is kind of the premise of, like, some kind of dystopian, like, you know, narrative. Well, if you go back and read, even Philip K. Dick, it, but farther back, you go back and read um, dystopian nightmare futures, uh, you know, George Orwell and stuff. If you time travel back to when he wrote that book in 48 and you showed him a video of what's going on right now. He, he would probably rewrite that and make it a hundred times darker. <laughs> he just didn't get the he's point. He's like, well, this is going to be the future. He's like, well, so you did vote for Big Brother. Uh, yeah, it's... I, I can see where the truth is becoming stranger than fiction. Yeah. more Definitely more frightening than fiction. We're just one more energy crisis away from Mad Max. I mean, we're going to get there. You know... You know a lot of people talk about having like a zombie apocalypse plan. I think it's more realistic to have a Mad Max po- post, you know, plan. Yeah, for when the grid goes down, like, <laughs> like people start eating each other. Literally, if someone if someone were to go without cat videos for like two weeks, this this world will be in complete chaos. Oh, I'm doing a great disservice to this author because um, I cannot remember his name nor the book. <laughs> title um it's something tell it's something like when it's a it's fiction but it's totally could happen it's like tales from when the when wi-fi goes down something it's a very cool book and the cover is it shows the wi-fi symbol dimming (laughs) and it's basically all of internet goes down all over the world and and it's just gone and there's nothing it's we're now living in a no more internet post-apocalyptic no more internet world and it's just funny how society starts to change drastically people start this one guy had like his stash of books and stuff and that he's getting to and one guy had a secret alcohol problem (laughs) (laughs) i i don't know i i for one think society would be far better if the grid went down (laughs) We would have chaos at first. Oh, yeah. But I think 
I don't know. I think there's a lot of people that could use some, uh, you know, to be transitioned into an agrarian society. <laughs> Look, you know what? Stop tweeting and till this soil. Okay? <laughs> right now you're offering nothing to society. Here, grow a carrot. Like, at least then you're... Grow some barley. Then you can make some bread and be of use. See, like... And, and that's, like, that's the crazy part. Like, we talk about people being of use and, you know, being able to contribute something. But, you know, all the people that are contributing something, like, they're, they're not getting, like, any of that value or contribution that they're sending out there. Yeah, I, I and I also think, and I say that jokingly, the whole internet thing, um, I, there's so many people who, okay, this... This is going to make me the cranky old man, but it's <laughs> social media influencer as a job. That to me is an interesting thing that me, you're me. actually making a living because, okay, so it goes, would you be a better, and this, uh, I'm going to frame this to be relevant. Would you be a better social influence influencer if you were, would you be more informed as a social influencer if you had to struggle, if you came up from nothing? Like if our social media influencers were people who were poor and then these companies say, here, I'm going to give you, you know, an actual, let's say $30 an hour wage to promote my shoes or whatever it is, whatever it may be, my shoes, my vodka, my whatever, my vodka in a shoe bottle, whatever. <laughs> Nobody steal that. That's good. <laughs> Cinderella vodka. Um, would be, if you had, because what are we seeing now as influencers? You are seeing Kim Kardashian and Khloe Kardashian. Or, I hate to break it to you, but none of those people ever actually worked a day in their life. <laughs> they never felt struggle. So how are they a relevant influencer? They're not. That's, that's what I'm getting at is the term influencer has been hijacked by the corporate media. They're not influencers. They're shills. They're corporate shills. But if you were to take somebody and make, if you were to make a poor person a corporate shill, what would happen? I would like to see it. It would be an interesting experiment. And poor, I mean myself. <laughs> Nike. <laughs> you listening? Let's see. The funny thing is I don't wear any Nike or anything. I have these cheap Adidas sandals that are falling apart. But, um, yeah, what would you corrupt that person? Would that person be corrupted by being a social media influencer coming from nothing? And it, it makes you think because hey, go are the current social media influencers, are they corrupted now because of their job or were they always corrupted because they never actually knew the value of work? Hmm. That's what I mean with value. Of, like I think creative people, we need to start seeing creativity and art as value too. And that's what pisses me off. I, when I see someone on their phone not doing anything actually not doing anything like oh i just ate the greatest piece of tofu ever and i want you all to know about it that's not doing anything if you paint a picture of the tofu it, like look i go on if you go on twitter and you bitch about politics you're not really doing anything but if you're jim carrey and you go paint this fucking awesome picture of trump's 
face as a horse turd coming out of a horse's <laughs> ass and you post it on Twitter, that's art. In my mind, that's art. And you're contributing something to the dialogue and something to society because I don't know if he has done it yet, but you could take all of his paintings, his political paintings that he made in four years. You could do a gallery show of that. Oh, yeah. Right? Because they're amazing. And you could, I'm sure there will be a coffee table book if there's not already. Maybe he was waiting for Trump to get voted out so he could do the coffee table book. Maybe he was waiting like, may I may have a whole nother four years of material. <laughs> Jim Carrey, if you are listening, I will design and and work on this coffee table book for no more compensation than a free coffee. <laughs> yeah, that book would sell. That, that, would be, that would be the greatest uh, accomplishment um, in my career thus far. But on, on that topic of, of, you know, like, you know, Jim Carrey if and using this platform to put out this art, to put out this, this representation. Would you say that there's also a possibility for, like, brands to be using this for good? To help people out that are, like, kind of in that community? Using his art? Or just, or like, and using any art. Any art, like, made by influencers or something. I think it would depend on the brand because it would depend on... For for the art to work, in my mind, and, you know, anything about art is subjective, highly subjective. Anything about anything, humor, art, anything, it's highly subjective. Uh, so I think for me, it would depend on the company's, the value of the art would depend on the company's trustworthiness with the public. Mm. Like if McDonald's is going to come out with an art gallery, are you going to actually see that as art or are you going to immediately think mcdonald's and this is like mick art <laughs> you know <laughs> even it, it could be fucking the next rembrandt but psychologically we are we fell into the mcdonald's branding so it, it's actually kind of bad for them on one level because it's hard to take them serious when all we know you know, the first thing first thing I think of is I think of Ronald McDonald, like, pushing his fries in your face. You know, I, that's my image of McDonald's. Just grabs your kid. Yeah. Have like some fries. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know, like, if they attempted serious art. Uh, certainly the art world wouldn't take it seriously. Because, I mean, going to art school, knowing artists, seeing the art world. I was more on the film side, but... I knew artists. I went to gallery uh, openings. I, I went to a lot of stuff like that. And they're different people entirely. They would see McDonald's go, oh, no, no way. And then there'd be one artist, like, super serious, like, I'm enjoying it in a post-ironic way. <laughs> <laughs> Just it's, imagine these people in berets. And yeah, exactly. It's horrible, but I like it. So, I don't know. It depends on, like, Another thing, Walmart. Would you trust the Walmart art gallery? Hmm. Would you think that's art? You might think it with someone like Nike. You know, they do more edgy artistic things. Uh, Adidas, uh, different brands, even Red Bull or whatever has weird things like that. I don't know. I think it all depends on the branding. I mean, on the actual... It really depends on public perception at the end of the day. So it sounds like there's kind of this potential for like a brand that has like a brand that has actual like human values and isn't just trying to like 
kill someone off the bat, being able to collaborate with someone that can reach out to a target audience and, and kind of lead them into a direction or expose them to something to do good. But it also sounds like we've it's been identified that the way that it's being done now, it seems very kind of like it falls very flat of that, that kind of like auspicious goal. Yeah, the way I think most people, like if corporations attempted art, well, they do, but um, most of the time it's seen probably as appropriation of mm-hmm. art, like you're taking the idea. Case in point, even though this is cinematic art, it's still art. Um, Taco Bell, I don't know if you saw this. <laughs> you've, you've seen the movie Demolition Man? Yeah. And you know the whole scene, so in Demolition Man, it's set in the future, and there were fast food takeovers and Taco Bell won. And, and so all the restaurants in the world are Taco Bell. <laughs> and, um, which is pretty damn funny. So there's they go out to this fine dining restaurant. It's this like Beverly Hills restaurant. And everything is Taco Bell. It's on these little plates. And it's it's bougie looking, but it's, it's Taco Bell branded. Well, uh, I think it was last year or maybe the year before. They uh, did a pop-up. Um, it was like a one-night thing, and I believe it was in Beverly Hills. It was a big freaking marketing extravaganza. Cost Taco Bell millions, and it was set to uh, Demolition Man. <laughs> and bless you. Oh, thank you. And they made a whole menu. Yeah. And they served all these like influencers and writers and uh, different people on the web, different people on... Uh, because also it crossed over because of Demolition Man. So you had the foodie people, you had the arty people and the film people. And um, I read the articles about it. And someone just said, like, is this art or is it marketing? Because I don't know what it is anymore. Like what it, And that really stuck with me. So when you were talking about that, it really, that's what resonated is I think we're beyond the precipice now where marketing and art are just one big amalgamated blob that can never be when it comes to pop culture art pop art it's marketing is just there i mean maybe marketing was always there but i love comics i love spider-man and stuff and i oh yeah spider-man was my first the first comic i really got into and went back and read all the different storylines and um so i was like so invested when the movies were coming out and I really liked the second one that uh, Sam Raimi did. But by the time we get to the ones now, it just feels like it's all stamped. It's all automated. Like the art is sucked out of it. There's no, even the comics too, like reading modern comics, I feel like more it's marketing than when you read the old Stan and Jack comics of Marvels of the, like the old Fantastic Four. They were doing that shit because they loved it. And in fact, at that time, for the first several years, they weren't making shit. They weren't making money. The reason um, Fantastic Four even existed, they, do you know this story? Oh. Stan Lee, Excelsior. I just have to <laughs> <laughs> You have to say Excelsior. You say three times Excelsior three times and he appears. And he steals your idea. <laughs> but <laughs> it's a rumor, allegedly. I, I love Stan Lee. <laughs> anyway, he um, he was actually going to quit 
Marvel. He it was before he was writing. Um, I think at that time he was writing like horror and cowboy comics because superheroes were kind of a no-no thing. So it was like 61, I think. And he was going to leave. He, this is talk about the struggle. He was, you know, looking for a better job, one that paid more. And he was going to leave. And his wife told him to her immortal credit, why don't you write this one book the exact way you want it to? Because you're going to leave. If it doesn't sell, leave. So he did. And he had, for the first time, he had fun with his, he didn't see it as a job. He just, I'm going to have fun with this. And the when Marvel started having fun, Stan Lee started having fun, Jack Kirby was throwing, Jack Kirby was always having fun. When you look <laughs> at all of his old stuff, he was always having fun. But when they saw it more as, let's have fun and play, then it was art. When you look at the really early, in my opinion, when you look at the really early Marvel stuff in the, and the really early, not so much the really early Superman stuff or DC, because that from day one was business. The reason why a lot of those comics are rare now, because it was business and you didn't save that shit and they pulped them. The companies pulped their shit. So it was seen as business. So that it. It wasn't until they tried DC tried to compete with Marvel's fun, quirky way, they started getting weird and started getting quirky. And then I believe you had the weird Justice League stories where aliens were turning Flash into a tree and shit like that, <laughs> like weird drugged out stuff. You had a good maybe, tw- I'd say from the 60s to probably the early 80s before the corporations completely took both companies over by... By the time 89, by the time the first Batman movie came out, Disney, was, I mean, uh, <laughs> Wal- uh, Warner Brothers officially owned DC. So it became, you know, it was they were just churning out properties. I forgot, was that one of those the bat nipples or was it the other? No, no. <laughs> no, it was, Warner had well owned the bat nipples by that time. It, uh, the bat nipples were the, uh, that was three movies later with Batman, uh, no, two movies later, Batman and Robin, Batman, I, I, Batman Forever. I, I still remember as a kid looking at it, just like, what is the point of that? Yeah, I you have to at least add a story to it. Like maybe you had a like a radio antenna in each nipple. <laughs> <laughs> Getting reception. Robin just comes up. Yeah, Robin, <laughs> tune my nipples. <laughs> um. So I mean, you you touched on some some great stuff there, and I think there's two items I wanna I wanna get at. The first, sorry if I blabbed too long. Oh no no no, this this is gold, man. The first is, you know, the potential to collaborate with, maybe not even a large company, but maybe smaller companies that are out doing social good, with these influencers. Like, there's um. A lot of a lot of like kind of grassroots campaigns or a lot of like kind of like local companies that are kind of like working on helping helping provide services or resources to people that wouldn't have access to them otherwise um the one that kind of just pops up immediately to, to the top of my head was uh echo park um echo park uh was it film and like what they would do is like they would pair up with like high school students give them free film classes 
and you know walk them through and introduce them to stuff like super eight film and like that is awesome it it is super cool um and me that is my, really cool yeah me and my younger sister went there we we were able to do that and it was it kind of set me on this this path for my undergraduate um and then there's the the incubator or in the downtown business alliance over in, in um what you call it in, in long beach the incubator is part of uh the sunstone challenge at CSULB, but the Downtown Business Alliance has a bunch of resources and, and, and stuff that help micro-entrepreneurs. And it's all kind of something that they can participate in and, and come in if they could get, um, you know, have the time to, to come in or to hear about it. And it's, it's amazing. Um, and then the other part you mentioned um, was talking about, like, having fun with it. And I think I kind of learned that, too, like... Workspace started her off as originally this like very kind of generic like dating sim, but it, it just felt like another thing. And then I, I don't know what happened with the programs I was using, but one of them cloned itself 20, 20 40 times <laughs> on my computer. And I was just like, technology was not working for me. Um, but then I went to use Mozilla Hubs amazing platform that is accessible free and is really community driven um and i kind of created this like really weird kind of proto like D visual novel dating sim choose your own adventure that teaches you stuff and it was just like wow and i made some like really basic characters at first and then someone was like well i'm not happy with that and then i started kind of pushing it and then people were like okay cool and then they're like, well, now I want to date the tentacle monster. And I was like, <laughs> because oh, of course. What's wrong with you? What else do you want? <laughs> and, you know, there, there, was a, there was a lot of stuff. And it's really funny because, you know, people would say, oh, well, so, it was a guy that wanted to date the tentacle monster. It was a lot of girls, <laughs> which, which is awesome, you know? Like, so what is the average of people who wanted to date the tentacle monster? Was it alarmingly high? It was alarmingly high. Um, <laughs> Or I don't know, sure if it's even alarming. Or surprisingly hot. Or, or no, uh, not surprisingly. <laughs> I mean, if cat girls could go out there and, and steal my money for a dish of pasta, <laughs> uh, uh, I I guess what will the tentacle, tentacle monster? <laughs> you know, to, to each their own. Hey, tentacle monsters need love too. Yeah. Um. Although she she's pretty cute. Her name's Natalie, and she was designed by um, this artist named Schlebby Draws um, over on Instagram. Let me let me go ahead and double check her her ig account um but she was really she is an amazing artist super cool um and was able to pump out um so all this artwork in like two three weeks wow um i apologized to her profusely and i was trying to pay her more she was like no no uh she's like we're friends because I, I went with her to uh con and the voice actor of hanzo was there and so we met playing Overwatch, and then I was like, hey, like, she's like, yeah, you, you're doing, you like cosplay? Like, we're going to go over here. And then it was way too hot to cosplay as, as Team Rocket. Cause <laughs> oh, yeah, I can but, see that. Um, we had made it our mission that I would get her, oh, I, I bought her this uh, Hanzo booby mouse pad. <laughs> and it's like this male character with this just bulging chest. <laughs> and she was cracking up, and I was like, well, the voice actor is going to be there. Let's go get him to sign it. Oh, that's cool. The look on his face was priceless. <laughs> he was such a chill dude. And he was just like, totally just like, all right, yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's probably used to sending weird crap. And it, it is Slebby.draws. 
Um, she is not only an amazing artist, she is able to pump a lot of a lot of character designs and poses out in like two, three weeks. Um, That's impressive. Yeah. And, you know, that those character illustrations are being used for uh, the book. Um, but they're also being being kind of used uh, as kind of stand-ins until we have like the custom-made three D models for the uh, for the game space, and it it really kind of added this layer, and people were just going like ape about it. And the other one that they wanted to, to date was the receptionist, which is this red cyclops. <laughs> um, <laughs> someone would not would not progress in the story until they got her number. <laughs> I was like, all right. So, um, but it was, it was that letting go of it trying to be this serious thing that highlights something to letting it be fun, whacking, zany. And I think that there's this really weird, like, misconception that you can't be smart and slightly mad or, or over the top insane with, with comedy, or it can't be something that's very serious when it's, like, extremely comedic. Yeah, yeah, there is that, there's that weird stigma, and I think sometimes comedy, when it goes in a dark direction, or when, you know, horror or thrillers or whatever go in a comedic direction, it it works. Like, case in point, and this is dating me, (laughs) Um, Rowan Atkinson, the guy who's Mr. Bean, you know Mr. Bean, the British guy? Do you know the show he did before that, Black Adder? it's really hilarious so it's it jumps through various phases in time in british history it starts out like the very first one starts out in the uh like queen victoria days but you're saying queen victoria oh yeah so black adder it starts out in like the queen victoria days and then it jumps through time with e- each one it follows this black adder character who's kind of this weasel guy who's trying to climb up in the hierarchy and it ends the last season it ends during uh, world war one and he's serving with uh i think it's prince or something on the <laughs> battlefield and it's that season is very like kind of like mash it's like a warfield comedy it's a little funny but it ends with them the fight the series ends with them charging on the battlefield and we know they get killed like it it you hear them get shot to death, and then it pans to, like, flowers. And that's how it ended. And a lot of people were freaking pissed off because it's one of the funniest shows. It was co-created by uh, Warren Atkinson and then with uh, Richard Curtis, who did uh, Love Actually and all of those romantic movies. He added this really dark twist in there, and people were really freaking pissed. Well, then, years later, another famous British show. Um, I don't know if you've... Have you heard of uh, um, Mitchell and Webb? Yeah, yeah. Did you Do you know what they did on their final... They had a show called The Mitchell and Webb Look, which was sketch comedy. Mm. Very funny freaking show. Amazingly. That's where I learned the term touching cloth. Do you know what that means? Mm-hmm. It's, so they, there's a sketch where they play business owners and they're trying to come up with a name for their dry cleaning company and and it's they're just sitting around the table and one of them is oscar winner um olivia coleman actually (laughs) because she was in their their entourage she was in a lot of their stuff 
Anyway, so they're sitting around. They're trying to come up with an idea to call their business. And he goes, what about touching cloth? Because we'll all be touching cloth. And then this other guy in the background starts laughing. And they're like, why is it funny? He's like, well, you know, when you really have to go to the bathroom and you're almost at the toilet, but you almost crapped your pants and you're touching your underwear with shit. <laughs> with shit. <laughs> He's like, that's touching cloth. So I learned the term touching cloth. My wife forbids me to say it. <laughs> like, oh, I'm touching cloth. It's like, ew. It sounds classy. It's the classy way to say I almost crapped myself. Touching cloth, the new fragrance by, <laughs> by Calvin Klein. <laughs> so I was going to... That show, it ended with an episode where um, Mitchell, David Mitchell, plays uh, Sherlock Holmes. Mm. And it starts to be funny. And you find out as it's going on, he has Alzheimer's. And you think they're going to play it for laughs. And he just looks at the camera and he says, like, I'm scared or something like that. And it really, like, chills you to the bone. (laughs) And he's like, Watson, I'm scared or something like that. And they play it so serious. And when he was being interviewed, because people were livid, like, what the hell? You made us feel emotion. (laughs) (laughs) And... When he they asked him about it in an interview, he said, I wanted to be like Black Adder. We wanted to do it like they went out on a serious note. We wanted to go out on a serious note. And I didn't expect it when I saw it. And I was even like kind of tearing up because <laughs> I, you know, I had relatives that had Alzheimer's. So it, it, it hits home because he's also a great actor. So he makes that face and you're like, oh, he's portraying it so well. And it, it was really well done. So I think there's a lot of merit to comedy with an edge of seriousness and vice versa. Like, I there's a slasher movie that came out that uh, I want to see called Freaky. Did you see the trailer for it? It's yeah. Ba- basically Freaky Friday, but as a slasher movie. <laughs> I, I, I saved that because I've been wanting this to watch that for the longest time. Like, I, I saw the trailer and was like, I need to go see this. Yeah, I want to see it. <laughs> I Yeah. So... But that, obviously, slasher movies, that's some serious stuff getting carved on. <laughs> but to make it funny, it, it works. Even if you don't go from a completely absurdist way like the scary movie movies, mm. those did it in a uh, Mel Brooks style <laughs> fashion. <laughs> Young Frankenstein's another good. <laughs> yeah, on that note, how, you know, like that, that sounded like it was really strategically planned. To kind of look at the camera and be like, I'm scared and end on that. Oh, yeah. No, and it was. He, They said that. that They they went into that sketch. They wanted that sketch to be the last one because they wanted it to be uh, start out funny and completely change your expectations and then end totally serious. And it worked. It really, really was a great way to cap such a smart show. So is there such a thing as too over the top? Or does does it is it all really contain just restructure? I think that there's never such a thing as too over the top for any audience for for the totality of audiences. What I mean by that, because that was the smarmy thing to say, but <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is there's always going to be someone that loves it. Mm. There's always going to be someone no matter what you do whether it's eric andre 
running into a gas station and pouring gas on himself and going, I'm a car. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's gonna be someone for the, I'm one of the audience. I like that. It's funny. And he freaked people out because they thought he was actually pouring gasoline on himself. (laughs) But um, going back, there's always, there's there's humor that I don't find funny. Mm. There's a lot of things that I think are weird. There's, Shows on Adult Swim, I'm trying to think of the show. It's a web show. I think it's called Off the Air. And it's just bizarre clips set to different things. It has big numbers. People watch it. It has a big audience. I don't get it. But that doesn't mean shit, really. It doesn't matter. There's always going to be. So I think if you want to play it safe and you want to come at it as like a marketing angle, then yeah, don't go too over the top. Go like, you know three degrees lower than Jim Carrey. <laughs> but uh, but not, you know, Robin Williams' Coke days. That's too over the top. You know, like, the more that marketing advances, the more it's really making use of artists and, like, how crazy they are, or, well, we are. Like, I, I, I'm still, like, slightly torn about this video. Um, I wanted to just kind of, like, go really crazy and be really bizarre because I wanted to kind of put this like really weird face as the kind of like selling point or kind of like mascot of, of court space. And I made like this tinfoil hat because I was, I was really strapped in time. It was really on a budget and I had made so many changes to the way that the game was going to be played to work, make everything work out because it just wasn't like I, it was originally going to feel like this, this weird constrained like virtual convention but one of my teachers said like you're not an event organizer like you're you're that's not you and i was like yeah like she's like do you really want to wake up every day and have to make structure out of everything she she looked at me and i was like no you're right i'm really chaotic yeah and i'm i'm really kind of like wanting to kind of like push the limits and troll and i think that was what's was great about this hdxdi program is that they gave me the space to do that and just kind of like a game designer like you could go in there and like you expect someone to go from a to b but they're going to go to a to like 2.5 degrees celsius to like (laughs) (laughs) middle of nowhere yeah (laughs) and then like and then finally get to like the end of the game and then work their way backwards and i kind of i feel like i kind of did that to this program but um I, i can't even say within within reason in some ways but I gave my, my teachers a lot of hard attacks and God bless them for, for giving me that space to really kind of experiment and, and then let things click and be like, oh, okay. Because um, I identified a lot. But I had worn this tinfoil hat and I was supposed to be this like conspiracy box subscriber being tinfoil hat Tim. And I, I had pulled out shoes. I had pulled out like a cat out of a box put a little tinfoil hat on it and it was it was really out there and this guy was supposed to be like super like crazy and the point was not that that was like kind of like a character base or but it was so that quirk space is so good that even if your idea is so crazy but it's your dream that you can you can have a shot if you can learn how to communicate the value of it so at the end of the video he's like yeah he's like we learned we learned how to like communicate our value through or start kind of getting introduced to a value proposition and now we're gonna go like 
work on a herb valley proposition to save the world from reptilian people with tinfoil hats <laughs> and then his hat falls off and he gets his brain invaded uh, everyone everyone in the room was really silent and i was just like i don't know if that's a good thing or that's a bad thing but what happened was there was a, a, a chasm where there was like this whole group of people that were really into it were just like yeah this is weird and this is funny and then there was another group that was just like you know what's going on here and then the other one that was just kind of like no this is this is not a graduate <laughs> level thing you know you know but it it really is something that like you, you know like you have to like go and experiment with and what i learned out of that what i discovered is that i want a face to be this kind of very like over the top like uh character who has a wild dream that they want to pursue but I need to do it in a way that's structured. And then I have a wish list of wanting to have subscription boxes that help kind of really kind of promote uh, the service and um, bring in funding to support development for the platform while also helping out and adding value to its clients. Like, and, you know, like I, in the original box or like a shoe, there was a cat, <laughs> there, was a, there was a book and stuff. And it was, it was like really random stuff, but the feedback I got from from my um, from my chair was that you need to calculate what this what this community really needs, and you can't just like you know. And I get that you were trying to be over the top, and that you were you were pushing this whatever, but you need to be organized about it, and you can't make excuses about time. You can't make excuses about this. And I was like, okay, cool. And I was like, but how am I supposed to do that? And he's just like, yeah, that's a really good question. And I was like, oh, God, this is like the whole purpose of the program. And it was it, it made me kind of like revamp. And so immediately I reached out to uh, Azayaku Cosplay. Shout out to her. She is amazing, amazing. Um, and she's going to help me film some stuff. Um, and we're going to see about kind of creating a, a, a better story or adventure that kind of encapsulates Corkspace and what it does for clients. Um, while also being really over the top in, in a more calculated way. Um, I, I do want to see if there's any possible way to bring the cat back in a tinfoil hat. <laughs> Just any possible way. Um, there has to be some kind of way, hopefully. And and for people that are listening to this and just being, what is this guy going on about? I, I think the thing is, there is value in the things that people love, and there is worth and if you love something and if you are dedicated to it, even if it's just selling a tinfoil hat, you should be able to communicate that worth to your community. And if there's a business or kind of like conspiracy theory that <laughs> makes money off of it, you should be able to kind of go say, I should be compensated because I make the most seal proof tinfoil hats that won't fall off your head and, you know, be able to make some kind of living off of that. Um, and I know that's, that's like ridiculous and it's over the top, but if rent is almost like impossible <laughs> to not have 20 roommates with yeah. if if we can be force-fed processed you know food if we have to kind of see the rise of neo-nazis if we have to live in an age where science is, is debatable what's really stopping us from saying our dreams are actually realistic yeah, if all of those things, why can we not be compensated for our art at least? Yeah, you know, if we got to put up with, <laughs> you know, um, I'm not going to go into politics. <laughs> but if we have to put up with, you know, the 
hopefully by the time this is out, uh, if people are hearing it, the previous inhabitant of the White House. <laughs> <laughs> we have to put up with that kind of nonsense. I mean, I know the minute this uh, pandemic hit, I know a bunch of people, myself included, who were having panic attacks and they were retreating into their art. I started writing a lot, a lot more, even when I didn't have the time, you know, because I'm, well, I had a little more time because I'm not allowed to go outside. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I think for that to happen, we have to kind of take the stand and say, you know what? You are going to compensate me for this art. I'm going, if I'm going to go take, do this art and you're going to take it in any way, you're going to compensate me somehow. There, there was, that reminds me of this experience of, um, I'm blanking on his name, but he plays Tyrion Lannister in Game of Thrones. Sure. Uh, I keep, I, okay, I'm blinking on the names of all of the, Tyrion Lannister, which, which one is he? He's the, oh, uh, Peter Dinklage. Yes. I was thinking of, because Tywin is the, is Charles Dance. I, I absolutely adore Peter Dinklage. So there was this quote. Um, or he was recounting this experience about his acting career. And he said, you know, I had an option where I could just play it safe and I could go and just and pay my bills by being a leprechaun. And just, you know, but I would, I would never escape that. And there was this overwhelming feeling that, like, I, how am I going to pay for anything? I have no money. I haven't eaten. I haven't any of this. And he decided to say, no, I'm not going to do your, your, your Lucky Charms commercial. Yeah. And he, he was just like roughing it out. And he landed Game of Thrones because he wanted to be a serious actor. And he, like, I, I don't, I hope I'm not making any kind of statement that kind of like propels ableism or any of that sort. But I think the, the point I'm trying to get across is that if you know your worth and if you know what you can what you're capable of and you you take that risk and it's 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 risky and you know i, I also want to be sensitive to so some people really can't afford that risk sometimes but i hope that quirk space can be something that accommodates all of those people that will have some time to kind of play think about it and then use the knowledge of the game to really kind of change that because the power of no is 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 really powerful yeah. um, I, I think um christopher voss this ex uh cia detective in his book never split the difference also talks about that you know and it's just like wow you know so next time your your kid asks can i have candy you say no <laughs> there's power in that <laughs> it's very true yeah because we we're we're defined by what we have but we're also, and I think maybe in a much more profound way, we're defined by what we don't have. Yeah. Because we have to make it up. We have to make up the difference. And yeah, it takes a lot of work, but it's it's very feasible if you can do it. My teacher the other day was saying that um, if you can't do it with sticks and stones, you can't you can't do it at all. <laughs> I I'm, I. You know, I'm really guilty of, of loving the latest tech and loving, like, getting really premium stuff. Like, that that's who I am. But I agree with it 100%. If you can't start a podcast with, like, just whatever, or if you can't start drawing with just, like, a regular pencil, 
like what makes you think that like a a bigger mic or like you know like a better pencil is going to make the difference yeah yeah yeah, exactly i knew people growing up who uh i want to be a writer because i want to be a writer so i knew well i am a writer (laughs) but when i was growing up and they would use the excuse well i don't have a computer well go to the fucking store and get a pen and pencil (laughs) go to the dollar tree it's not that hard you you don't need the newest tech. I yeah, that's that's a great quote. Mm. It's true. I mean, heck, even if you want to kill somebody, you could do it with a rock and a stick. <laughs> 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 <Booga, booga. laughs> and it, it, it's it's funny because our, our program, at HXEI, they were immediately like, you don't need to be using like a computer. You're doing this. They're all paper, pen, sticky notes. Yeah. <laughs> and I do I fought like tooth and nail. I was like, if I can't use my iPad, and I'm like they're just like and I'm like, okay, you're right. And it really kind of transformed everything. Like, you know, here here in the house, like probably because of, of the depression seasonal depression and then <laughs> political depression. Yeah. You know, I I I have I'm surrounded by my electronics, but you know, if, if I were to lose all of that, like, can I, would I still be able to call myself a designer, a storyteller? Yeah, yeah of fuck, course. Fuck yeah. Because it's in you. Yeah. It's, that's the thing. Like, you know, if you're a real writer or a real creator, real artist or, or what have you, no matter what your art is, if you wake up in the morning thinking about that art and you go to bed at night, or, you know, three in the morning if you're an artist. <laughs> yeah. You woke up at six and you go to bed at three. <laughs> Work that out. Anyway, if you if you go to you wake up thinking about art and you go to bed still thinking about that art, you are an artist. It doesn't matter what computers you have, what your easels, what tools, what video cameras, what you know, anything. None of that matters. As long as if it's in you. And that's why you can really tell, like, a lot of... I'm going to go back to film. Going back to Jaws, Steven Spielberg woke up thinking about movies. He went to bed thinking about movies. You get to Ready Player One, he went woke up thinking about money and went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So there's that, you know... And I'm also not one of those people who are like... Don't sell out. If they come to me with the bag of money, I'm selling out. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, but that's also kind of like knowing your worth. Exactly. Being like, okay, that's a big enough bag of money or that's not a big enough bag of money. Give me a bigger bag of money. Yeah. You know, and and that's kind of like the the crazy thing. Like, this could be be seen 100% as just like, two really crazy guys rambling on about injustice in the world. Yes. Or, it could be seen as that. <laughs> <laughs> or it could really be seen as like two artists kind of coming up in an age where there's there's been so many like just giant injustices that everything being kind of shed to light is now kind of like paving the way for this this period of transformation. And we're kind of a part of that wave or that community that's kind of being like, yep, we're done with all this. Yeah. Um, there's, um, I want to give a shout out to this, this really great group. I don't have any association with them. I, I really love their content because they've been focusing so much on inclusivity 
interviewing designers of color, people that are, are, oh, are cool. BIPOC, and really kind of letting them have a platform. Um, Eisenberg. And they're they're over in, in Pasadena, amazing company, super cool content that they create. And their their channel on YouTube, the A-list, um, and um, was it I, I believe it's also they have like another it's like what we read what we what we're reading is is really great for anyone that's just trying to like pick up ideas on how to like brand themselves or kind of you know talk about certain things or really kind of stand up to certain um injustices and get a new perspective and awesome group um but i i feel too like it's kind of on on all of us now like to really kind of be like okay well if these if <laughs> if 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 America was like hold my beer, <laughs> we're we're gonna go for a ride in twenty twenty. I think that it's safe for us to say that you know like, why are we? Why would we be considered crazy when there's already so much insanity in the world? Oh yeah, when you when you look at the art that you know Eric Andre, uh, Tim and Eric. You with your tinfoil hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you look at that kind of art, how is that any less crazy? Or uh, how is that any more crazy than QAnon? Yeah. When you think people actually believe... This is an art. Well, in a way, it is an art. In a way, counter-reality counter creation is an art. Because mm. that's what it is. It's counter-reality creation. You have some force on Twitter... <laughs> which may be the guy that created uh, HM, they think. It could be. That could be Q. I forget. His name is Jim something or other. It he, he didn't create HM. He, like, bought HM or some weird... I don't know. Anyway, he's uh, in with a lot of creepy people, <laughs> and uh, they believe he could be Q. So this guy had to come up with this whole counter-reality that he created. And in this counter-reality... Um, Donald Trump is working, Q is some kind of secret agent, high-level secret agent person working with Donald Trump to battle the reptilians who are infiltrating Hollywood and the elite and they're eating children. And if you believe, it, somebody crafted this. Somebody took a lot of weird conspiracy theories from Pizzagate onward, <laughs> and they combine them into this Alex Jones dystopian nightmare <laughs> thing, and people are buying it hook and sinker. There's T-shirts, bumper stickers. The guys that were caught driving to the Philadelphia Convention Center with AR-15s, they had QAnon stickers all over their car, like the back, and they were wearing QAnon T-shirts and stuff. So... That in a sense, it's it's a twisted, horrible art. But some somebody actually had to think of this stuff. They had to think. There's a global reptilian conspiracy, and Ellen's in on it. <laughs> reptilian Ellen. Rept, reptilian. Um, and Tom Hanks is supposedly supposedly part of it. And but somebody sat down with a lot of opiates. I don't know, but somebody sat down. And came up with this idea, these weird ideas. And people, I believe that. Yeah, that's good. Just like, you know, L. Ron Hubbard sat down with a lot of barbiturates and meth 
uh, it's true, 100%. He was taking it when it was in the capsule form, apparently. Oh. So, and he, yeah, there, you can look, there's a lot of records of this, of people saying this too. Like, I read a lot of books of people who knew him. And yeah, he was like supposedly, allegedly taking these pills and writing. That's why he holds the Guinness Book of Record. <laughs> he holds the Guinness Record of the most science fiction written by one per actually the most fiction ever written by one person is Elon Hubbard. Jesus. That he holds the record because he had like ten years on meth. And I'm not making that up. <laughs> That's it. however, allegedly, sorry. <laughs> however, I'm getting back to that. He also had to make up this wholesale religion, you know, he had to make up the whole Scientology, the the mythology of it. Whether you believe it or not, whatever, but this one person crafted this mythology of volcanoes and aliens and ancient worlds and we're all poisoned with these things, whatever it is. But it's it's still art in a way. I mean, he's a science fiction writer, right? I mean, yeah. I actually read some of his science fiction. It's amazing. He has this one about this space pirate named Old Doc Methuselah who <laughs> travels the, the galaxy and he has like a frog sidekick. It's weird crap. Definitely from a fevered imagination. <laughs> but so when you read his art, his actual art, and you go back to his religious writings, it's the same stuff. It's so it's equally cracked out. It's e if it wasn't a religion, it would be a Michael Bay movie. I mean, that's the fact. It's, it's so all of this is an art in a way. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. And, you know, sorry, I, I didn't mean to ramble. On. No, no, no. It's, it's great. Like, I think you, you bring up this good point and like kind of going back to the original concept of like humor and and like tragedy. I feel like if we were like members of an audience and we were watching this film, all of us would just be like, oh, my God, that could never happen. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> These people are cracked out. This couldn't happen. Like, but yet here we are. And, you know, it's 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 kind of insane. Um and it's kind of like the, the like, what was that Monty Python's like, always look on the bright side of life <laughs> when they're being crucified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, life of Brian is a great movie. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that there, there's this has just been a really really great conversation. Um, so we're we're pretty late into it, but oh. <laughs> I I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Um, and Ryan, where can they find your podcast? Um, my podcast will be um, on the Nerds of Mass Distraction page on YouTube. Hopefully it'll be up by the time you uh, are listening to this because <laughs> I'm still crunching uh, the final for the first video. And it's just going to be a series of podcasts on various topics. It's Nerds of Mass Distraction. So as you can see, I jump from all points. So it's going to be a podcasts about different pop culture things scary things things we just want to talk about and then set to weird videos so you can have some weird visuals while, while you watch a, a podcast that, that's a really kind of cool experimental like mix of like it being a podcast and like but the visuals being this this whole other yeah the visuals are tie in with it loosely but i wanted something that doesn't completely dominate you know, so you're still watch, you're still listening to the podcast, mm. and and for viewers out there, you're probably feeling it's like, wow, this is a lot different from your previous podcast. 
which had been either very very structured or, or very short and in the way that they did it but this podcast has evolved over this hiatus um, because during my time in the HXDI program, I've discovered a lot of things. <laughs> I feel like a like a kid coming into puberty, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know. But and I and I say that in all seriousness. Like I discovered that my style. I discovered who I am, and I discovered what I love doing. I'm a very kind of trolly, very kind of over-the-top, very fun, and very weird person. I like delivering that kind of content and creating worlds that are bizarre, weird, and kind of like very humorous and, you know, thought-provoking. And I'm a world builder and a storyteller. And I most likely use video games or any or similar technologies that are interactive to tell those stories. And... My time in, in grad school has really kind of opened me up. And I, again, like, am, am really, really just kind of, like, thankful, I think. No, that's not even, like, the best word possible. I, I grateful and humbled about just how much room this program has let me kind of go, <laughs> how trolly and how weird my teachers have let me be, and, and how they really embrace that. And I hope by by being able to to embrace this that the content i provide to you brings value through starting conversations giving you ideas providing you with resources the things to check out and really kind of helping you understand that you matter and if a great dude as crazy as me can put a tinfoil hat on and start a podcast you don't know what i'm learning over here <laughs> um they all have tinfoil <laughs> even the cat <laughs> then why is it so so wrong to believe in yourself and your projects? Get out there and make. And this is more of the style that you guys can perceive in the future. This is Joshua Young. This is the Red Mage. And thank you for tuning in. <laughs>